And I think somewhere in this, I'll be able to cut together three words that's like, why would you blow me? And then, <laughs> and, and that'll be the cold open. Yep, great. And who would be saying those words to whom? Who would be saying what words? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. <laughs> I was like heckling you to start and you... You're like, alright brother. And you just launched into the intro. I'm like, oh fuck, I'm oh, not fuck. ready. <laughs> well, well, well. Who wants who to start what now? One second, A podcast? Yeah. You? Me? <laughs> I'm going to close all my tabs about dogs with short legs. <laughs> oh, they are, those are quite short legs. Yeah, corgis. That's a crossword puzzle. <laughs> You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> uh, I was trying to teach myself how to do cryptic crosswords in the last couple of weeks. You said that was going to be a new hobby. How is that going? Uh, not very well. And you're fucking Googling like dogs with short legs. Yeah. Fuck. No, I like... Um, how so are things on the, other, on the stupider side of the fence? The New York Times crossword app lets you... They have what's called mini crosswords, which are like... Um, oh, what's that? Shut up. It's like a, a five by five crossword grid. But because you're in an app, um, it will like automatically confirm when you get it all right. So I've been like speed running these mini crosswords. A, B, C, D, E. No, no, no. Like not like that. Like trying to get them, but seeing how fast I can get them. Because most, right. most of the mini ones are piss easy. So I'm getting some of these with like Peasy. five, ten words in like 20 seconds. And it feels really good just to like base through these fucking things. Yeah. It's cool. Like you get it when you're like, oh, that feels good. Yeah, that's how it feels. Do you say You're it? not going to trick me into saying this fucking word. <laughs> <laughs> if you include a different cold open, you are totally fucked because that's not going to make any sense. <laughs> oh, that, that was just me saying that. Just you trying to... Yeah, just, just, you just me say, just trying to get a rise out of you. Just trying to encourage just me to say that it feels try, good. Trying yeah. to get me to you a certain kind of rise <laughs> out, of, out of a certain kind of me boy. A, a little boner. <laughs> Well, it won't work. <laughs> this week, we are doing the new Spike Lee film. And when, we, when I say doing, we, are, we watched we it watched already. It. We did. We, watched we viewed it. it. We, we watched it. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, so now you know when I say doing, mm. you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean watching it and then talking about it oh, yeah. in that order. This movie, uh, Duff Five Bloods. Uh, came out on Netflix this year. It is a Vietnam War movie. Uh, it has lots of flashbacks and then flash forwards to the present day. It's essentially about this uh, this platoon of five African American guys who served what? in Vietnam together, who uh, have now come back. It's like thirty, forty years later to find the remains of the one member of their platoon that didn't make it back home, that was killed in Vietnam. Uh, and they also have, like, like buried treasure. They, like, buried this gold that they were supposed to recover as part of some mission. And so it's all about them trying to recover this gold that they've come back to recover um, and also get the remains of their fallen squad mate and bring him back home as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there were originally five... Uh, <laughs> originally five five bloods. Okay. <laughs> and now there are four 
plus like one dude's son. It's sort of four and four and three quarters bloods minus one. Yeah, what does that work no, out that's to not be? fair. You can't you can't force me to do math off the clock, baby. <laughs> um, and that's the movie. Yeah, it is uh, Spike Lee's first film after Black Klansman that came out just a couple years ago. That feels really recent. Uh, yeah, well. I think it was 2018. Yeah, just, just two years ago. So, dude's been cranking them out, I suppose. Mm. Um, and we'll talk about that later in the episode. For the moment, we've got a bit of beef and assault pleasure. We've got a bit of news. Great. Uh, I was going to ask you what you want to start with, but I sort of couldn't care less what this you want to start with. News. We're going to do the news. Beef bullet. Nice. Fuck, the isolation's got me a bit short of breath there, brother. Oh, really? I've never been really short. <laughs> I don't know whether it's my sitting <laughs> position or whether Romano it's... Oh, I was just like... That's my Ray Romano doing, doing the... Oh, no. I'm talking about when he yells, And she ain't <laughs> And then almost passes out. And she ain't No, that wasn't as good as I thought it would be. Never mind. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Ennio Morricone died this week. Oh yeah, so he was ninety-one. For, um, famously, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, and a fucking heap of other movies. Yeah, exactly. He, he he's um he's done the he did the score for like four hundred movies. It says Christ. here most well known for uh, heaps of spaghetti westerns, um, iconic scores that had like whip cracks and uh, horse hooves and things like that happening in them. Uh, he did the. That's him. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna silence me and insert the music in here. Because, <laughs> yep. Yeah, that, that'll be easier. Um, but uh, he also most recently did uh, Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight uh, score, which I suppose is Quentin Tarantino's sort of new His world of the Western. Western. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I- iconic composer. Sad to see him go, but also brother was 91. Can't say that he didn't achieve his uh, professional goals. Had a good innings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, got news here about Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth is going to be doing a Hulk Hogan biopic, starring as Hulk Hogan, apparently. And it says, quote, I will have put on more size than I did for Thor. Oh, good lord. And is looking, for <laughs> looking forward to sporting Hogan's iconic mustache. Dude's going to be fucking enormous. Well, he's not a small man. Uh, at the at the best of times. Yeah, so. he's gonna he's gonna be fucking huge. It's gonna be huge. <laughs> it's gonna be massive. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that that's all I've got here at the moment. I just thought it was a funny headline because I can't really. He's already playing uh, like a, fu- a fucking Norse god. Um, and actually, the photo that this article has used here for Hulk Hogan makes him look kind of fat. <laughs> I think I feel like that's the normal like that's the wrestler like way. Eighties wrestler like, build. Yeah, you, you you sure you've got muscle under it, but a lot of the muscle goes towards <laughs> just like supporting the Hulk of your actual body, the Hulk Hogan of your actual body, if you will. Hemsworth said he was going to be fun. It was going to be fun to see himself sporting Hogan's iconic mustache. "Quote: I'm going to be blonde, probably balding, and with a tash," he said. Um, it's a ne- it's a he. He hasn't seen the script for the Netflix movie, which is apparently apparently means it's going to be quite a while away. But fuck, mm. it'll be like how Taron Egerton like thinned his hair out to play Elton John. Then I suppose yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. interviews where he said he did that to make himself look like he was balding, and then was worried that that hair would just, <laughs> just never grow back. Yeah, <laughs> and he'd just be bald forever. I wonder if he like plucked between. Yeah, they oh, like yeah they God, like that he is, like that's fucking Taron Egerton crazy. like thinned his hair out. Yeah, see he Ugh. like plucked 
individual. Yeah, exactly. That's awful. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. <laughs> no, uh, that's John Lennon, not um, <laughs> not Hulk Hogan. Not <laughs> Hulk Hogan didn't write Imagine. Uh, got a bit of exciting news for me here, so you can just tune out for a second. All right, cool. I'm just um, gonna go to the bathroom. It's actually Ringo Starr's birthday today. It's Ringo Starr's 80th birthday today. Oh, happy birthday uh, to the worst Beatle. <laughs> you wash your mouth out, you son of a bitch. Everyone Who is the worst Beatle? Everyone knows that John Lennon's a talentless hack, and yeah, he's okay, the worst well, Beatle. Can't argue with that. Uh, Midas man Jonas Ekelund directed biopic about Beatles manager Brian Epstein in the works. It's going to be released next year. There you go. Okay. Okay. Brian Epstein, famous manager of the Beatles, who died at the height of their success. How would you say the billionaire hedge fund manager that didn't kill himself last year? Can you pronounce his name? Well, it depends how he spells it, but if it's E-I and it's a German name, you pronounce it I. So, like, Epstein. Okay. Interesting. So, I think anyone who pronounces it Steen is wrong. I thought the Jewish pronunciation was, like, Epstein. Epstein. With the S-H. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I only... I'm, I'm, I'm biased by my... My German, German upbringing. My German <laughs> upbringing. That's right. Biased how? <laughs> 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 Would you say uh, more for the German pronunciation or the Jewish pronunciation? Uh, yeah. Um, Don't worry about my pen being poised or anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about that. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I don't know if there's much of a story there, but he was this like records. He was just some dude that owned a record store that thought like, you know what? I want to manage a band. Mm. I'm going to pick this fucking band and make them the biggest band in the world. Mm. So that's kind of exciting. He was also gay at a time when it was illegal to be gay. Um, and I think they're not sure whether he overdosed or whether he killed himself or what. Damn. So I suppose there is a bit of a story there, but interesting to see. Andrew, I, will I indeed might be? never watch another musical biopic ever again in my life. They're doing an ABBA one, I think. Yep. They're doing... You can cream your little jeans over that. Alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like we haven't had many. You know how they found that um, that dentist's chair in a shipping container in uh, the Netherlands, yeah, and it was, it was like part of like a horrible torture ring? torture thing. Yeah, yeah. for me, um, it's that. But there's just that ABBA brilliant movie playing brilliant all the time. Benny, Bjorn, Agnetha, and Frida. I think that's ABBA. That's ABBA. <laughs> Andrew, you can't you can't argue. That's ABBA. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlett Johansson will hand the baton to Florence Pugh in the new Black Widow movie. Uh, It looks like Florence Pugh is going to have a future playing Black Widow for Marvel. Uh, Director of the new Black Widow movie, Kate Shortland, has revealed in a new interview that Scarlett Johansson, uh, who obviously currently plays Black Widow, Mm. will uh, pass the role on to uh, Florence Pugh, who is going to be playing Yelena Belova in the upcoming movie. Character, what a huge fuck up. So I suppose that like the Black Widow is like the title, and Natasha or Romanov or whatever the fuck the other character's name is is going to retire, and then. Uh, oh, it's actually a reboot. No, it'll be like Black Widow is now played by Florence Pugh. Yeah, but is she in the same way? Is like, she meant to be a different human? The same way that Miles Morales is a different Spider-Man? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, so it's like Natasha Romanoff is Black Widow, and now some other random Russian Florence Pugh is going to play some other Russian so lady. She's like who handing is Black the baton. Widow. They're not like yeah, she's not playing like, like a younger version. I of I suppose the same in the same person. way as like whoever wears the Iron Man suit can be Iron, Man. Iron Man. Yeah, yeah right. Okay. Um, 
I don't care. I don't know. Florence Pugh's great. Uh, this article says she's only 24, which is fucking crazy. Mm. And like, dating Zach Braff, which is way crazier. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to me that like we're almost reaching the age now where a lot of like popular musicians and things are younger than us. Mm. And we're not... Oh, it's very distressing. And I try to pay no attention oh, to yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Like, it's like, oh, Florence Pugh, great movie star whose movies are like, she's younger than me. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. yeah. You know that thing that you've always wanted to do? It's mm. like, bro... You better start doing it because <laughs> otherwise <laughs> it is going to be that thing you always should have done. Oh, yeah. There's a little depressing <laughs> corner Brilliant. for this week. Okay, so how's this? Uncharted voice actor wanted Chris Pine to play Nathan Drake. <laughs> Take that, Tom Holland. Uncharted video game voice actor oh, Nolan game, North. I forget that this movie is allegedly going to come out. Says Chris Pine is his perfect choice to play an adult Nathan Drake in a live-action film adaptation, even though they have already cast Tom <laughs> Na- Holland. Nathan Drake, and it's going to be Tom Holland. Mm. Uh, maybe that means that this that, movie is like... A- Tom Holland is so fucking insane to me as that well, because he's very anyway. young. He's he's a twink, dude. It doesn't work in my mind. Like he just has that. Um... Oh fuck! Hold on. Did you know that it says here Mark Wahlberg's going to be playing Sully in this movie? That's crazy. That's okay, crazy. so they're not even trying to emulate the characters from the game really at all. Uh, with uh, Antonio Banderas in a mystery role. So for a non-gamer audience. Um, Sully is like an older gentleman, or I'd say like a good so, casting option would be like maybe J.K. Simmons. Tom Holland is Indiana one. Jones. Yeah. Uh, Sully in the video game is like Sean Connery, Indiana Jones' dad. I was trying to make a reference that wasn't 40 years old, but yeah. That's <laughs> no, Indiana Jones. Everyone loves Indiana Jones. Yeah, I guess uh, I suppose it is influenced by. And this is a ripoff of Indiana Those Jones. Those old so it's movies, fine. yeah. 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 Uh, uh, I don't think I've ever seen Indiana Jones. No, I think I've seen him, but not in the last, like, 15 years. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah. Venom director Ruben Fleischer is set to uh, set to direct this film. Uh, the Uncharted film? Yeah. Oh, so that's, like, the, what, eighth director that's been attached to this fucking oh, thing? I didn't realize this. Yeah, there have been, like, <laughs> six changing. directors, man. It's been, uh, d- Fuck yeah. yeah. I wouldn't, um, yeah, I wouldn't, like... It'll be interesting to see if that's where the roulette ball settles because, like... <laughs> yeah. I suppose this might be some sort of origin story then if he, if it's, like, a really young Nathan Drake. It might be. And if Wahlberg's playing Sully, he's, like... Like, he's meant to be, like, a silver fox, you know? It's not, yeah. That's not really a Wahlberg kind of character. No, it's not really, is it? Uh, to round off the news here... Um I figure it's not it's not a it's not a beef station news segment without news about uh, James Bond. James Bond. Yep. Uh, new new image has been shared from the James Bond film. God, Rami Malek Bond villain sneaks around in new No Time to Die image. A brand new image from the new Bond film No Time to Die shows Rami Malek's mysterious villain looking creepy behind a glass door. Now I'm gonna put myself in the shoes of the listener here and force you to only describe this image to me. <laughs> All right, so um, the image is... Is it a JPEG or a PNG? <laughs> okay, so... I um, need the metadata to imagine there is a, it. There is a figure yeah. behind a... Like a one a or a two, like it, an A. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a frosted glass door okay. with a wooden frame around it. So imagine like a dark, like a... Oh, I don't know wood. I'm going to say teak, but I don't know what teak okay. is. No, no, like, like an... But I'm, we're not talking like mahogany. Oh, it's very dark brown. Okay, maybe mahogany? Maybe like a mahogany, wow. maybe like a... Or like a really darkly stained pine. 
Yeah, it could be a it could be a pine. It could be like a I know that like it's the same color as like a almost like a rosewood guitar fretboard okay. would be. Wow. All right. So I imagine like a Brazilian rosewood trim border on a door kind of thing. On oh, frosted like glass. A frosted door. glass, but the frosted glass is like most of the door. And it's for that frosted like glass slim, that's like Is there a it's slim border of unfrosted? Well it's the the slim no, the slim border is just the wood. And then the the glass is like it's kind of frosted, but it's more like that glass that's just lots of long vertical lines, if you know what I mean. So it's just kind of, it gives you this rippled view through the door. Oh, yeah, I think I know. What right, you, yeah, cool, yeah, great. Okay. Um, so there's like a figure. That's looks like, like the glass is corrugated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, this, this, there's a figure like in the middle of the frame. Um, and then. In front of or behind the door? Behind the door. Obscured so by, by the glass. Obscured by, by the corrugated, corrugated glass, yeah. Okay. Um, so then the door. And framed by the. Th- the hinges of the door are on the side, like up against a wall. Okay. And then the other side of the door, where like the little snib would be. Where the handle is, yep. yeah. Yeah, um, is perpendicular to like a long bookshelf that has lots of weird trinkets on it. It's got like a flower vase. It's like a 70s ass bookshelf where all the shelves are on weird angles and it's got like books and magazines and. The uh, the figure behind the door mm. is dressed in all beige. How can you tell? I can see it through the glass. Oh, okay. It's corrugated there, so it's not really right. clear. So you're getting colours and vague shapes. Oh, it's quite a distinct shape because it's not really frosted. It's more like a very very light corrugation. So is it one of those doors where like in the background stuff's frosted, but as soon as you get close to it, you can sort of exactly. see it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly oh, what it is. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. Interesting. Sorry. Um, so he's wearing like uh, so like, a beige ba- like, a, like a beige cream kind of pants And then he's wearing like a, a jacket That's the same colour as his pants Okay That's like a beige cream kind of colour And then it's like a It's like a ski parker With one of those like uh, Hoods uh, uh, Fairy hoods Okay yep And the fairy hood is kind of Half on his head Okay So it's sort of like I mean. It's sitting So it's sitting on the top of his head Right but it looks like I'm about to slip off. Okay. And then the character is wearing a... I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling <laughs> when your hood's the, like sitting on the, the back. The character is wearing a silver, what looks like a silver plaster face mask. Oh. With like a like a slit for the mouth and then two slits for the eyes. Right. Almost like one of those like theater icon masks, if you know what I mean. Okay. It's one of those, but it's just like a slit for the mouth. It's not like a smile or anything. Wow. Uh, so you can't actually hear that it's Rami Malek, right? But you know that it's Rami. Yeah, Malik. you do because the headlines are so. Now, can I show you the photo? I'm going to show you the photo. Okay. So, so you got the bookshelf, you got the door, and I've got to give you a rating of how well you just described it to me. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. I had oh, the perspective what? Fuck kind you. of inverted. No, no. I think you did a very good description of. Oh yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Key details. Yeah. What did I miss? Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, no, I had the camera just put in a different place in the room. I thought the bookshelf was... You, so you've described a bookshelf to me that I thought was butted up against one wall, but the bookshelf is... Perpendicular uh, to the door. Perpendicular oh, to the door. interesting. But in the middle of... The door is in the middle of a room, so there's one of those like little half yeah. bookshelves that just sort of is, yeah. like, acts like this separator in the middle you're of right. the room. I didn't say that it was and like I, a separator And that was the only the bit. But no, other than right. that, yeah, quite good. Yeah. That's the James Bond news this week. Okay, interesting. So cool. Rami Malek is dressed uh, in beige and wears a ski yep. mask and cool. at some point stands behind a frosted, uh, frosted glass door. door. Yeah, oh, it's more that's like a light corrugation, okay. but yeah. Probably, I think there's probably still a frosted finish on it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I don't think the corrugation would work. Oh, well this well. interesting. This article... And we said, uh, what did we say? Pine? Pine. I think I think I ended, I, I ended up going with like a Brazilian Some sort rosewood. of hardwood. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. Uh, interesting. Actually, this article has uh, reached for a bit of analysis that I... I was to do. <laughs> I, I didn't actually notice. Says here that the the character is reaching for the door handle. Oh, which right. is huge, actually. That is pretty massive because, for all we know, he, he could have locked himself out of his office. He might have been locked out. He might. Very he might have been. He might have been leaving and then like 
didn't want to come. This, yeah. this shows that he's coming through Maybe the door. Maybe this is a bureaucratic drama where he's actually James Bond's boss. Fuck, and dude. So he was wearing his ski mask I can't in his office, and oh. he went to go to the toilet, went to take a quick piss, but he's forgotten his fucking key card. It's, <laughs> it's sitting there on his desk. You can see it through that corrugated, sort of half-obscured glass door, yeah. but he can't get to it, and so he's just standing there, but it doesn't make any sense if he's reaching for the handle because he knows that he's <laughs> locked out. This fucking article... <laughs> this fucking article says... <laughs> <laughs> now, a new image from Empire shows Malik Safin sneaking around and generally looking up to no good behind a glass door. The creepy villain is shown reaching for a door handle, wearing a mask and a cone. What makes the image even more unsettling is the fact that the rippled glass obscures his figure and makes him seem almost inhuman. Great. Okay, Screen Rant, that's enough. Yeah, you stole the fucking image from Empire anyway. <laughs> Fuck me. I, I reckon the intern that wrote that fucking hated writing that article. They're like, it's got to be 200 words. Like, 200 words? It's a fucking photo. That's a thousand words, bro. Oh, man. It's a thousand words. 200 words, that's not enough. No, because a picture paints a thousand words. Oh. Uh, yeah. So he gets 1,200 words. Well, it would be, yes. In theory, if you're converting or to, a to crop, pure word count. He has to crop four-fifths of the photo <laughs> out. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you get 200 words. He's like, oh, I'm cropping shit out. It's just Malik's blurred hand on a door handle, so he still gets <laughs> to talk about the door handle bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's why Trump was missing from that photo, baby. They had a word, oh, they yeah. had a word count. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it didn't have enough words to talk about how he yeah. was with a known pedophile. Yeah. Um, all right, so here's another headline about James Bond. Why? Yeah, 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 yeah. Save it for next week. <laughs> We're not sure if there's going to be one. There'll be there, one. There'll be one. Uh, Kerry Fukunaga has explained why he isn't interested in changing the movie despite its seven month delay uh, to November. Well, because it's probably fucking done. <laughs> Quote from Kerry Fukunaga here. Where are we going? I can't Where believe he's answering this question. Kerry Fukunaga says It's already. Fucking done, bro. You could just fiddle and tweak, and it doesn't necessarily get better. For all intents and purposes, we had finished the film. I had mentally finished the film, mentally and emotionally. It's done. Yeah, it's, the, it's the reason he's done, not, bro. The reason he's not fiddling it is because it's, it's finished. Yep. So there you go. That's James Bond News for the Week. Anyone who's like, you've got an extra seven months. He's like, no, I have a different seven months. <laughs> I have seven new months of a different life. Fuck. God, what a stupid question. So that's all I got. That's that's the news for the week. Okay, it's a bit light on news, I think, this week. But we've been a bit light well, on two, news. The for last two were ads for other websites. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you take that back. Oh, another one. One long last. Would it be one. fucking funny if neither of us ever saw this new Jones movie? <laughs> <laughs> we just keep fabricating yeah, just headlines. I'm never forever. talking about it. Yeah, just the, the the day it comes out, just never mention it again. <laughs> That would be pretty good. That would be it? Very funny. <laughs> it would almost be worth it because I actually want to see it. Oh, you can see it. You just can't ever just talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Or we can bring it up, but only in the context of not having seen it and not knowing anything about it. <laughs> uh, last headline here UK, t- UK allows film and TV productions to be exempt from quarantine rules, mm-hmm. allowing okay. the filming of Mission Impossible 7 to go ahead, baby. Interesting. The only mission that doesn't seem to be impossible is Tom Cruise's quest to yeah. contract coronavirus. Tell you what's mission impossible is uh, stopping the spread of coronavirus <laughs> thanks to the British government. Hey. Yeah, that's hey. it. Yeah. Your mission DQ is to accept it is to cough, cough into in your my elbow. mouth. <laughs> uh, your 
else is better. Oh, that's right. That's all right. So we got Mission Impossible 7 and 8, apparently. And 8? <laughs> Fuck me. And 8? Oh, no, that's... Hang on a fucking second. No, that, that's, that, no that's it. They're, they'll explain it into two, and it's going to be one big, long story. Jesus Christ. Yeah, so there you go. Is that Tom Cruise's last Mission Impossible? Like, last two Mission gonna Impossible. Do it? <laughs> no, I don't know. He's going to do it until he's dead. Yeah. Because he's like, what? He's going to be like 59? He's ge- yeah, he's getting up. He's getting up. Really? There. And he's going to be going to space, fucking space soon. Yeah. That is Mission Impossible insane. 11, 12, 13, and 14. Like, I get that he's got enough money to like, I don't know, pay for uh, <laughs> the blood of children to be infused <laughs> into it. his veins to get younger. But like, you can't put that off forever. <laughs> pretty, pretty uh, insane. Fuck. What if... So, like, in the same way... What if you could put the blood of children <laughs> into your veins and prevent the aging process? Do you reckon that make you live forever, bro? What if? Uh, no, like... I hope so, or else I've been doing it for nothing. If they're filming a movie in space, and it, and it is a Mission Impossible movie... Um, you, if they, you bust like, in milk space, as long does as they push you backwards like, a little bit? <laughs> Mission Impossible yes. 9 is in space. Mission Impossible 10, they're like, remember when I was in space? And they look back and there's like, a, they could like bank like, hey, remember three movies ago when I was in space? And they could just be showing space sh- new space shots forever. It'd be like how Stan Lee banked all his Marvel cameos forever. He could just bank a whole bunch of space shots. So you're like, saying remember like, that secret you told me when we were in space 20 years ago? And they film like a Mission brand Impossible new 7, but yeah. they film like four scripts worth of shots. Four, they, yeah, they just they just like film yeah, four movies worth of space shots to mm. be like, well, you know, we're only in space once. Fuck it. That's a funny idea, but also they can just do the vomit comet for it, right? So I don't <laughs> oh, think they fuck. actually need to go into space <laughs> <laughs> to do the shots that they tell the audience are in space. Okay. Although it seems like that's their intention. They're going to space. They're I'm going to watch that fucking... I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise is going to space. It's very good. I'm way more keen for that than I am for the new Bond movie. I think the, the new Mission Impossible... Are they making a new Impossible John movie? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard rumors. I don't want to... You know what? I think the... Um, I've decided independently. <laughs> not saying I'm it. not going to say it. Um, I think that the uh, last, like, three Mission Impossible films were everything that the new James Bond movies want to be. There's my hard take. I think they're funnier. I think they're more interesting. I think they're more focused nah. on what they actually want to be. I heard and they get less confused with all the other fucking shit that just slows James <laughs> Bond movies down. No, nah, I'm not having it. I heard, I heard a theory that... Uh, when Austin Powers came out, it sort of forced the hand of James Bond, which had been getting goofy, which, which was like still a bit goofy and handy, still can't be, yeah. to be very sort of dark and gritty. Yeah, because they'd sort of like we talked about this before. Turned yeah. it up to eleven. Yeah, right. Well, there you go. No, I I like the direction the new James Bonds have gone in. I really like. It. I think Casino Royale is fucking awesome. I think that there's a couple. Yeah, of but suck. that was the first reboot, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. They've just fucking gone downhill. They're boring. No, I think I I think Skyfall was like vaguely interesting. I think half of the James Bond movies have always been kind of shit, but I think yeah. that these new ones have been good. I think Skyfall was great. I'm not uh, okay. Casino Royale is good. They're not bad films. I just think that I enjoy myself. I don't go. I'm not going to any of those fucking movies. You're for just like, not down on the marketing juggernaut. No, no, I'm not going to any of those movies for like deep character analysis. No. I'm going for it's like Mission Impossible. Dumb yeah. fucking quip. It's like Mission Impossible. It's not like Mission Impossible is like James Bond. It's that the new James Bond movies are like a Mission Impossible film, which is doing what it does, but better. Yeah, but I, I like They're that funnier, James Bond is being a bit... They've got fucking Simon Pegg, <laughs> got I, I, like that, I think Mission on, Impossible... 
I think Mission Impossible has a lot more in common with the older, goofier James Bond movies because the, the new James Bond movies they're not they don't have a sense of humor about themselves at all. But they're then what they're doing right in the Mission Impossible shit is they're actually doing they're actually trying to kill Tom Cruise, which is <laughs> what you fucking need to do because there's only one direction for those movies to go, and it's like eliminating the stunt. Industry. Oh, they're trying to emotionally kill Daniel Craig. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but that's not interesting to the viewer as much <laughs> as like let's just uh, let's throw Tom Cruise into space and not give him a space suit <laughs> and just we'll leave it 30 or 40 we'll seconds just, to fucking we'll see what happens Tom Cruise's head pop on we'll film fucking fuck yeah gaff a GoPro to him and just <laughs> launch him out of a trebuchet <laughs> <laughs> just, but it's a it's the biggest trebuchet you've ever seen. We'll just see what happens. Tom Cruise is gonna magic school bus himself and insert himself inside the human body. Yeah, exactly. And we'll just film Fuck it. Yeah, for real. We'll just really do that. <laughs> that's 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 the shit I want to see. Tom um, Cruise and Elon yeah. Musk have teamed up to build a shrink ray. Yeah, well, it Fuck won't yeah. fucking do anything. It'll just <laughs> call someone that rescued kids a pedophile. <laughs> Oh god. Yeah. That's what Elon Musk did. That is um, what Elon Musk did. Have you got much in the way of and forgive my language here. Beef no so pleasure. Business. 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 Pleasure. Business pleasure. Business pleasure. Business pleasure. Business pleasure. Business pleasure. Business pleasure. Uh, that wasn't last weekend gone playing The Last of Us 2 mm-hmm. The Last of Us Part 2 um, which is just one of the most pleasurable experiences I've ever had in my entire life well um, wh- <laughs> really 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 wonderful game um, that is essentially like a 25 hour film where you get to play parts of it um, and uh, and then I've just been spending a lot of time like thinking and reading shit about that um, and also being really busy with work. So, no, I haven't really watched anything. Oh, great. Uh, well, I, I actually watched a movie uh, a couple of weeks ago that I forgot to talk about on the pod that is relevant to the movie we're talking about today. It's relevant to The Five Bloods. How? I don't know. I'm oh, really not, no, it's, it's, I gotcha. It's a Spike Lee joint. It's a Spike Lee joint. <laughs> a little bit of Made in Brooklyn kind of flick. Yeah, uh, it's called "She's Gotta Have It." Oh, okay, it's yes, I see the I see the connection. Spike Lee directed this. Yeah, and he directed the Five Bloods. Oh. he directed both of them. He also directed uh, Black Klansman. Did he? Um, I didn't watch Black Klansman. I watched I watched "She's Gotta Have It." Okay, um, it's a I, I think it's like his debut uh, writing directing thing mm-hmm. movie flick film. <laughs> Um, I thought it was pretty good. It's 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 all in it's all in black and white, which is the first thing I noticed about it. Um, Where's and everything? It's like a super low budget kind of film, I guess. Uh, set in New York in the eighties, and it's about this. When when was it made? Eighty four. Okay. 
Uh, and it's uh, Spike- set in modern times. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, eighty six. Sorry, uh, Spike Lee stars in it as one of the boyfriends of this uh, woman that lives in Brooklyn that isn't a one woman gal, and she's seeing three different dudes. And it's basically about this lady um, who's seeing three different dudes and is trying to decide which dude she wants to be with. Okay. Um, and I suppose the hook of the movie is that the three dudes talk directly to camera about um, as if they're recollecting a time from long in the past when they were seeing this lady. And right. They're, they're, they're like, there's a Spike this Lee. documentary stuff. Spike, yeah. Sp- Spike Lee plays this, um, uh, like a bit of a swag lord kind of dude that's like, <laughs> um, <he laughs> famous these, like, 80s character of the swag lord. I don't know. He wears these big, he wears this big baseball cap <laughs> and he wears this giant bomber jacket that says Brooklyn. And he's like, uh, I don't remember any of the characters' names. He's like, "Hey, Jill, how's it hanging?" And that kind of sh- that kind of shit. Um, and then there's there's <laughs> another. That's pretty cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> His name's Mars Blackman. Okay, well there you go. <laughs> um, now are you sure you're not reading out a character description? There? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the main boy. Is played by Tom, is played by Tommy Redmond, and that's Jamie, and that's like the serious nice boy that she's seeing. And then there's this dude that's like absolutely jacked to the tits, like um, uh, no, he's just jacked. There's a dude that's just jacked, and his whole personality is that he's that's jacked. That's what it is. Yeah, he's a real prick, and his name's Greer Childs. Wow, ironic. Yeah, Jamie Overstreet, Greer Childs, Mars Blackman. Mm. So some real. Real balls to the walls, crazy yeah, names. Yeah, great names. Yeah. Um, and I think it was fine. It was built as like a comedy, and I don't think I didn't I didn't find it particularly funny. Okay, um, is it conjuring like black exploitation style films? No, nah, it's like a comedy. It's like a romance comedy drama. It's it's like out of compared to the movie we just saw now, which is a very impressionistic, very action heavy kind of film. Mm. Uh, and compared to Black Klansman, it's a very straight comedy drama. Okay, where it's like a, it almost does that like yeah. It almost is um, like a mockumentary kind of thing where like each character talks about like what their relationship was like with this lady, and then uh, a lot of the a lot of the film is just like romance drama shit. I, I don't know, yeah, I, thought, right. I don't really know what I was expecting, um, but well, it's very different to his current style. It's very different, but I think it, I think it's interesting, and you can sort of see him working within his own limitations, um, which I think he does a bit of in this new The Five Bloods thing as well, where like the budget or maybe like. Uh, production limitations have sort of given you these creative decisions. Uh, so in this movie, I, su- I suppose it was a choice to go with this black and white, like mostly like very small scale kind of, like it looks like it was just filmed in people's apartments and filmed mm. out in public and like on little hand, like handheld For cameras. First and feature probably yeah. was, yeah. Exactly. But it, no, it was really great. Spike Lee's cool in it. He's a really funny actor and he's a really sort of larger than life kind of performer. Mm. Um, it's on Netflix. Is the only reason why oh, okay. I watched it because I thought, like, oh fuck, this looks this looks a bit weird. And, and it, it was, was it was a bit weird. And I don't know if you can tell, but I watched it like th- three weeks ago, um, and I really can't remember very much. About I think it. you've done a pretty good job of um, summing her up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked the cinematography. I think that the the black, modern black and white films done something you get to see very much of. Um, there's a lot of cool music in it, and other than that, it was just like a straight kind of kind of rom com. Mm. 
there's like a weird scene. There's, there's a there's a good uh, Thanksgiving scene where the lady deliberately invites all three of her boyfriends over to Thanksgiving and cooks them all Thanksgiving dinner and makes them just like meet each other. And they're like transparently like, "Why are you fucking this guy? This guy, this, this, this guy's an idiot. This dude's just jacked." He's a yeah. jacked moron. Yeah. And this other guy's name is like, I don't know, fucking Michael Bridge Road or some <laughs> shit. Can't even remember what it is. <laughs> Jamie Overstreet. Yeah, thank you. Jamie Bridge Street, whatever. This guy's name's Mars Blackman. We're all black men. He's not special. <laughs> yeah. I've got that going for me and I'm named after civil infrastructure. Actually, the ripped guy is really civil smart. Civil infrastructure is a great character. The name. ripped guy is like too much of an intellectual. Right. Like the ripped like guy philosopher. He corrects people's grammar and shit. Oh god. <laughs> it's great. Awful. <laughs> yeah. It's good shit. Mm. Uh, no, I don't know. I, I don't think it's worth going in on, but just watch his new shit and Just watch his new shit. There you go. But I guess that's a pretty good segue. Follow my follow my thinking here. That was she's got to have it because um, yeah. Who is it directed by again? <laughs> J- Jamie Mars Black Spike Lee. <laughs> Interesting. Now, fuck. If you had four names in a lineup: Jamie <laughs> Overstreet, Mars Blackman, Greer Cruz, and Spike Lee, and said which one's the real person. Spike is a pretty sick fucking, pretty sick first name. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he also directed the movie you watched this week. <laughs> yes, he did. So, yes, this came out in 2020. It's a, I think, I believe it's a straight to Netflix film. Yeah, it but is. But it, it might not have started as that. I think he, I, I heard no, him I talking about it in a way that sounded like it was one of those, like, uh, one of those COVID things where it was, like, picked up by uh, Netflix, but maybe not. The uh, description for the film on Letterboxd is four African-American Vietnam veterans return to Vietnam. They are in search <laughs> of the remains. Full, full stop. <laughs> they are in search of the remains of their fallen squad leader and the promise of buried treasure. These heroes battle forces of humanity and nature while confronted by the lasting ravages of the immor- immorality of the Vietnam War. That's, that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, yeah. I ba- think so. Basically, You're there's fucking this... welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. So, yes, directed by Spike Lee, uh, starring a bunch of really fucking great actors. Uh, I guess sort of led by Delroy Lindo, who plays Paul, Paul who is a uh, <laughs> kind of a Trump-voting Republican vet, yeah. um, who's kind of at odds with the rest of the group, but is also like the most... Bold and the leader, I guess, of of the group. He's the most, most loud. He's the loudest one, right? Yeah. Dave, uh, uh, Jonathan Majors plays David, who is his son, who who is a uh, he's like a black history teacher at a high school or something, and he like tags along. Uh, yes, yeah, so he's sort of he, he's introduced like maybe fifteen or twenty minutes into the film because yeah. he's like fucking read your emails, Dad. You here for that treasure, ain't you? And he's like, I don't. I hate you. Yeah, Clark uh, Clark Peters plays Otis. Mm-hmm. Who is these are like all, these are like all old ass black dudes who I've never heard of before. Yeah, they're sort yeah. of like fifty um, or sixty, I'd say. Uh, yeah, Clark, Clark Peters plays Otis, who is like the, the he was their medic. Mm. Norman Lewis plays Eddie, who is now like uh, a very rich. I think he owns car dealerships or something. I think I think, o- I think Otis wasn't the medic. I think Otis is like the. Um, 
the the heart and the mediator of the group. I think Melvin, a different character, is a medic. But anyway, one of them's whatever. the medic. There's a medic among them. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Eddie is this rich dude who tries to pay for all the hotels and shit, and yeah. then Melvin's the dude with a metal detector. That's that's all yeah. I remember yeah. about him. Yeah. Is that Melvin's the dude who's like constantly whacking around with headphones and this thing going. Wee! Yeah. <laughs> so yes, and the other notable character uh, is. Um, oh, Chadwick Boseman. Ch- Chadwick Boseman, who I guess I think I best knew from playing Black uh, Panther, Black, Black the 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 Black Panther. Yeah. Um, who plays Stormin Norman, who was their squad leader back in the actual era of the Vietnam War. He's the person that was killed um, during their mission and whose remains they have come to exhume and finally bring home. Yeah, and alongside lo- bring home this treasure that they left behind. Yeah. And there's lots of flashbacks to their time in Vietnam. The way they do it's really interesting. So, uh, th- How do they do it, Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's lots of different... Fucking ass. There's a fuck. You like, like four aspect you ratios. You like aspect ratios? <laughs> Boy, you only need to watch one film and you get your bang for your buck. <laughs> so all the modern stuff is shown in like a standard fucking 16 by 9. It's shown in multiple standard aspect ratios. <laughs> I'll fucking tell you that. <laughs> sometimes this film's letterboxed. Sometimes it's not letterboxed. But sometimes it's four by three. Sometimes it's super eight. Right. Very, so then, very good. So then the old stuff, when it, whenever it's like a flashback to the Vietnam War time, and there's several of those, it, uh, the picture goes all four by three. Mm. That's the square one. That's, um, yeah. The colors like go the all like the old one. The colors go like really super saturated, and it almost looks like old war footage. I'd assume it must have been shot on period equipment. I don't know. It looks like it was because because, it re- because really genuine. And the movie opens with like five minutes of historical like a montage of historical footage. Mm. So you've already gotten a feel for what all this real historical footage looks like. And whenever they snap back to the 70s flashback of the story, it feels like historical old 70s footage. Yeah. Um, uh, so they do that a lot. There's there's like one character who is filming their trip. It's because it's like a holiday they've gone back on a bit as one well. One has got like an old Super 8 video camera. Yeah, and so you see a lot from like his perspective through his video camera, which I think mm. is cool and mm. it's a good way of grounding you in their experience of the film. Mm. Um, did you notice that they didn't recast younger actors to play the flashback actors? Yes, I did notice the that. The flashback actors? Nice. Uh that reminded me of the term flesh-eating bacteria. <laughs> I thought it was cool. I I, I noticed because because to well, me, they actually looked at doing the Irishman digital de-aging uh, effect in this. Yeah, they're like, Marty, can you just run this through whatever fucking uh, iMovie shit you've got? What? <laughs> it's expensive and really hard. Um, or maybe no. Okay. I might be getting confused because I also read an article with George Miller about the new... No, I read somewhere that they this was like a compromise and this was like a cheaper... What They were like, oh, we'll just do it like this. Okay, right. So maybe they wanted to. I know that... Uh, so it just came out that um, uh, Charlize Theron is not playing Imperator Furiosa yeah. in the new Mad Max prequel. And they looked at doing the digital de-aging and George Miller was like, mm, nah, I'm not in it. Uh, yeah, I'm not no. into it. Did I talk about the Irishman on the last episode? No, I just remembered you watched I the Irishman. I just remembered I watched the Irishman. You okay. watched the Irishman. <laughs> I, watched, I talked I about a Spike Lee film I watched three weeks ago. You spent the last three weeks watching the Irishman. Didn't even talk about <laughs> I, it. I did have this funny, funny sensation that I didn't talk about. That. Okay, we'll talk about the Irishman next week. That's I have not. watched that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, James Bond it just I'll never talk about, about it for it. eight hours. If you've finished watching it by next week. Yeah, nice. Um, 
Um, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so then I just I'm I'm familiar I'm with so this, the digital I'm me too. the digital <laughs> the digital de aging thing. Um, <laughs> What's the Irish minister talking about? It? <laughs> so I got some thoughts about that. Um, but yeah, George, uh, George Miller said like he, he looked at it and just went like mm, it's not quite there yet, and uh, this movie might have been a, a case right. of the same. But well, it sounds like they more compromised for budget reasons. Then what I got out of it though, I think it was a I, I think it was one of those interesting like. Creative choices that you make for because you, you're limit you've been, you've been limited in mm. some way that pays off because it makes it whenever you have all so whenever you have all these flashbacks to them in the war in the seventies you see their one uh, mate their squad leader who died is still a young guy yeah. in all these flashbacks and the other four squad mates are these old these these big fat old guys and they 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 appear as their old elderly selves in all the flashback scenes. Which gave me the impression that they're... No, they've got, like... They, they like, they've like they dyed out all the grey hairs in their hair and stuff. Like, That's about it, though. They're like, the same actors. So, I think so, they're meant to be younger. To me, watching it, they don't look that much younger. No, and I just to, think that was... Yeah. Yeah. Makeup can only do so much. When I, What I got out of it was, like, a bit of, like, a... They're constantly stuck reliving their past, and they... this. Yeah, it's that. Like okay. they're they're stuck in the past, and they've been reliving these memories over and over and over again, and dwelling on it almost as this like PTSD mm. kind of. Because they they keep they they talk at one point about in the film about how they all still have these nightmares of all the time that they went through in the war, and so th- I thought it was kind of an effective way of reinforcing that, even if that wasn't intentional. That's kind of what I got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I did notice it, especially at the end where there's like a well, not at at the end, but like later on in the film, there's a shot of them all sort of standing there. There was like quite particularly, it lingered on the shot for ages. There was no action in the shot. Um, and that looks like they're trying. And to make I was them a lot like, younger. yeah, and I was like, wow, that you can really just tell that they've like <laughs> slapped a die job on a couple of these guys. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of like, there's a bit of a tangent, but there were a couple of moments in this film that I noticed. Um, it really like. Just had some mistakes that feel, felt like they didn't get corrected in post. There's mean? a very emotional scene between two characters where one of them hugs another one, and you can clearly see that on the way, putting his arms around him, he hits the camera. Really? Like he bumps it. <laughs> yeah. And like I was watching this on my like massive new TV, and maybe like right. if you're watching it on a smaller TV, you wouldn't have noticed, but like he f- hits the fucking camera. Um, <laughs> And, like, maybe that was just the best take. And they were like, oh, we'll just put a warp stabilizer on it. No one will notice. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you could definitely see it. There were a lot of, like, um, what I felt like were 80-yard lines or where they used a different take compared to the line that they cut back and forth between. And so, like, a character wasn't moving while they were talking if they weren't, like... No, I didn't notice any screen. of that. Yeah, there, it was just... I don't know. It, it despite <laughs> And I don't believe you. Yeah, despite being so <laughs> high budget, it was like there were a few moments where I was like, Jesus Christ, there's another example of what I can't think of it. Yeah. Um right. Yeah. So okay, I guess the context of this film for me is kind of interesting. Um and if especially when you look at like number one, kind of like where Spike Lee's been in recent years and number two yeah. uh where the script came from. So the original pitch for this movie was kind of nothing even close to what Spike Lee ended up turning it into. I think there's actually a real, like, Spike Lee's had a, a real uh, auteurial kind of um, twist and perspective put on the original script. So the original pitch was, and I'm reading from uh, an Atlantic article here, um, the film was originally intended as more of a straightforward adventure influenced by Apocalypse Now, which is interesting because right at the start of this film, there's a 
shows like Apocalypse Now right in front There's of There's an Apocalypse Wiser Now right. logo that comes up and like this music plays and like Flight of the Valkyries plays at one point. So there's a lot. Yeah. It's, uh, it, this this film draws a lot upon those conventional Vietnam. I, I got a lot of I got a lot of stuff that reminded me of um, Good Morning Oliver Vietnam Stone. as well. Oh yeah, sure. Oliver Stone films, right? Yeah. Um, well, sure. Whatever. So it was a, he's the guy that directed Platoon and um, a bunch of other yeah Vietnam films, and I think he was actually originally attached to the script before not signing off on doing it. Um, so yeah, it was actually a group of like mostly white veterans as they made their way through modern Vietnam in search of the squad leader who was still alive. Uh, it was titled "The Last Tour" and was scripted by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. Um, who are best known for writing uh, cult classic The Rocketeer. Yeah, and it was originally going to be directed by Oliver Stone, the guy from uh, who directed Platoon. He's an actual Vietnam vet, um, and he dropped out. And then the script kind of found its way to Lee, and he introduced a lot of the, I'm just going to like use the umbrella term of like black cultural and black character elements to this film. Um, and he sort of maintained a lot of the core messages from the film, but now it has this added layer on top of it of... Um, telling uh, an often uh, overlooked story of these black veterans and how um, this was all happening at the same time as like a huge cultural revolution in the States. Um, black people were frontlined more than white people. Something I think 30% of people fighting in Vietnam were black compared to like 10% in the US. 10% in like the US, yeah. like a really crazy overrepresentation in this theater of war. And this film does that th- th- this movie does that like almost that um the same thing it does in Black Klansmen yeah. and a similar thing to what they do in like the uh the Big Short and that movie about Dick Cheney. Dick Cheney. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> that, that, that Adam McKay um, film. Where yeah. they flash up, like, real-world photos and old stock footage of historical events. Right. And they're like... Yes. So, that t- there, there are bits, like, where they mention those statistics and then they flash up relevant photos from history and, like, stock footage and shit. Yeah. Similar to the Black Klansman script. The, the same sort of thing happened where they had this this original perspective on it and then Spike Lee's taken it and kind of added his cultural experience and knowledge to it to give it this added layer of depth to the storytelling, I suppose. I didn't really like that stuff that he did in this movie with uh, interjecting really? the stock photos. Oh, the historical stuff. The historical stuff. I didn't really like it. I sort of... I, I mentioned having a bit of a problem with it when we did Black Klansman where towards the end of Black Klansman they insert... Uh, historical footage and I get the point it's trying to make but it mm. feels like instead of I read a review just today that said instead of it, it makes what should be subtext just the text like a very very overt and like I get the intention behind it but it doesn't really it, the reviewer said like I get the intention behind it but it doesn't really do it for me and I kind of agree like it, I, I don't really I, I, it kind of feels lazy to me in a way where, like, it, it almost feels like like condescending to be like, no, you're not going to get it unless I fucking scream it at you. It's like, no, nah, I, I, I get it, man. I didn't really like it like this. But there's also a bit where, like, it's not even making a point. It just breaks me out of it. And it doesn't feel like it's very stylized. Like, there's a bit where one of the characters is talking about this hurdler, this, like, Olympian hurdler that he looks up to. And then the movie just shows you a picture of that. <laughs> just shows you a picture of that hurdler. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's Why showing I- you what the thought of the character that's in that particular moment on the screen is. 
He's yeah, recalling who that person But it's just like a static, a static image <laughs> of the sports person they're referencing. And I thought, like, if the reference is so dated that no one's going to get it, don't use that reference. You know, like, it was like a Jesse Owens... It was like they were trying to make some sort of reference to, like, some athlete on the level of Jesse Owens, but they were like, oh, fuck, no one's going to know who this fucking hurdler is. No, well, he went to the same college as the character in I the know, story I, did. I, I know, I watched which the movie. Is the <laughs> but, like, I just didn't I think, think it just, was... You're refusing to uh, empathize with the character on screen. I empathize with the character. I just thought it was weird that they just... But those are the character's thoughts. They're not meant to be your thoughts. He's not telling you to have those thoughts. He's I didn't showing need a you. stock image of the Olympian. Well, I didn't know who the fuck that guy was. Neither did I, but I could have got it to a name. Like, contextually, or they yeah, could have picked you, someone else. But part of what this film is doing is also taking the opportunity to honour the names and faces of historical figures that he feels need respecting. I suppose so. It's and also, what I, think, uh, what I think these types of films do, and what I think Spike Lee is taking the opportunity to do, is while I, 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 th- I think there was a Roger Ebert uh, review on this that, that did quite a good job of kind of summing it up, but I'll try and summarize. He says basically like Spike Lee uses a lot of like very familiar filmmaking techniques. He's a rock solid director at worst. And um, what he, what his films often do is they lure, lure you in with this sense of like comfort and familiarity in the way that he's making his, the, the tone that his films carry with them. But then, he really, uh, when he puts his own kind of like voice into it, it's really like a punch in the gut because um, he's actually breaking out of all of those conventional film techniques to really like halt the process or at least like um, subvert what he's doing with those familiar techniques to take a moment to say something very different to you from what you would normally encounter, especially in my opinion as a white viewer um, who... Uh, is generally, like, unless I go seeking it out, not going to be exposed to the perspective of minorities um, and this type of thing. But I think what he what he does so effectively, and he did it especially with, like, um, stock footage of the Vietnam War in this for me and stock photos of the Vietnam War when he was into cutting those types of things in, was that he's he's not just trying to give you a slideshow of old shit because he thinks that you won't get it, I think. For me, what that did was it's helpful because you're you're sort of primed in this emotional state where you're on this journey with these characters and they're having conversations or they're talking about their difficulties or they're talking about their thoughts on the war, they're sharing stories or like sharing experiences. And it takes that opportunity while you're in that emotional, heightened emotional state to then show you footage that you've seen a thousand times before that you have no way of actually placing in the emotional context that it's in because you've only ever seen it on like a fucking Wikipedia article or whatever while you were reading it in like some safe classroom somewhere. And so it gives you this new emotional context that you can absorb this information in. And I personally think that's a lot more powerful than seeing that type of shit when you're just like looking it up and, you know, or it comes across your screen when you're browsing a historical website about like atrocities of Vietnam War or whatever. Yeah. So I think it's not it's not trying to punch you in the face with it. What it's trying to do is say, like, I know you've seen this before, but what I really want you to do is consider it in this new emotional context that you probably have not been exposed to before. There's, there's a bit they do with Martin Luther King uh, where the squad finds out, it shows you the day that they find out when they're in Vietnam that Martin Luther King's been killed. That bit, I think, is really effective. Mm. And then it shows you a bunch of civil rights-type 
historical footage and footage of Martin Luther King that I think is very emotional and very powerful. The specific bit with the hurdler I thought was a bit weird, and it was this weird esoteric reference and like this. I just didn't I just didn't it, like yeah. the, I just didn't like the way they presented it like visually, just like. But like it when didn't the um, feel like an it, it literally it didn't feel like it was that guy's memory of that. It looked like a newspaper photo of this Olympian. It, it was literally just well, like yeah, it wasn't. A it literally felt recreation. like yeah, but like I mean like it it literally just felt like they shot the scene. And then was like, oh, no one's going to know who the fuck this dude is. <laughs> like, No, he does that shit all the time. I didn't He did it, it with when the, um, I think when, I think it's when the uh, Vietnamese guy is trying to sell uh, Paul the goose or the chicken or the fowl or whatever the fuck it is. And then he starts yelling at him about like what he did. Um, it sort of flashes up these uh, shots of atrocities that Americans committed in the Vietnam War. Some of that stuff, and yeah, I suppose some of that stuff, it was a bit hit on a miss. a lot of that stuff before. Yeah, it was a bit hit or miss for me, I think. I'd never seen the fucking video of that dude actually getting shot. That was fucking crazy. I thought it was just a still Yeah, that was nuts. Image, yeah, yeah. And I, that was horrible. I really wasn't ready for that. Some of the more full-on stuff worked all right. But like, what it did, yeah, it did, I've seen those images before and I was like, wow, that's really horrible, but it didn't affect me. Whereas this time when I was watching it and it was like a person yelling at a character and saying, you did these things and then when you get these snapshots of these images that's actually the the it's like you're being exposed for this brief blink to the images that the person is thinking about when he's looking at this other person and thinking they did that that's not what i'm talking about I'm, i was i suppose well I that's was, what all of it achieves i was in the film very specifically i suppose that was a very specifically talking about the bit with the hurdle because it was such a weird esoteric reference okay, that i right. thought like he's doing this weird like big short thing where he says Margot Robbie and a photo of Margot Robbie pops up. Like, <laughs> what is this, a slideshow? <laughs> Historical figure, Margot Robbie. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think a lot of the, yeah. I, th- I think a lot of it was good. Um, I liked the film. And there were lots of really, some of my favorite scenes we can talk about later. But I think there were a lot of characters, there were so many characters in this film that I feel like it didn't really give the characters much chance to be sort of fleshed out. Mm. Did you get much of that? Like, I thought, uh, Paul was like the making America great again Trump voter guy and that was sort of all there was to him he was very one dimensional um, I think that's extremely unfair I, <laughs> to, I, I, to Delroy Lindo's performance it was a good performance but I just feel like in terms of the characterization of this guy it felt some of the characters felt a bit a bit one dimensional like, like it was and, and then as the story went on, it sort of, I felt like it went a bit off the rails. I don't want to spoil it too early, but I feel like there was a specific point where the film kind of changed in tone and where I thought like, oh, well, this isn't, sorry, right. it, this isn't where I thought it was going and it mm. got a bit screwball towards the end. Like, I think Delroy, the guy who plays Paul was great. But I think that character also has like one of the most uh, emotionally complex and interesting journeys. If you found him one-dimensional, I think like yeah, there's just not a lot here for you. I think he was one of the most effective characters. I liked his PSD, PTSD performances. Yeah, well, is that? Yeah, no, I don't think I it is one-dimensional. Half the other characters, like, like I didn't, we didn't, yeah. you didn't really get much of Marvin. You didn't really get much of Otis. I no. couldn't even really tell the difference between the character of. Otis and Eddie. That so much. Otis was the one with the whose whose daughter you meet early in the film. He's had a daughter yeah. with a woman from Vietnam. I feel like I just I just feel like there wasn't much to it. I I feel like if it was, I feel like there was one or two characters too many where they didn't get enough screen time. Like there was there was definitely like a couple main dudes and a couple side dudes. I think Melvin and Eddie, um, the two kind of I suppose least significant. Squad members. Yeah, I just didn't get much out of didn't them. Didn't get much out, but yeah, I mean, the film is already two and a half fucking hours long. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's too much more that you can squeeze in 
in terms of like the character development because I think that you risk having four main characters yeah. and that's just impossible. Well, there are, there are some specific emotional beats that happen in the movie mm. and they happen to like Eddie and Eddie and Melvin and you're like, well, who the, who the fuck are these dudes? <laughs> I yeah. Of, I sort of don't care that these big emotional beats are happening to these dudes. Why couldn't it happen to Paul or why couldn't it happen to uh, fucking Otis cause those are, or, or Daniel because those are the dudes I've been following for this whole film. I mean, I think they're different big emotional beats, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's a couple of things that don't really need any spoilers that we can talk about. I wanted to talk about the score and the music in this because um, I remember when we watched Black Klansman that I mentioned that the score was... Uh, unbelievably cool and sort of conjured a lot of like <sighs> I don't know it sort of it had this like he used he used a lot of like s- so the music's done by uh, Terence Blanchard and he uses a lot of like strings and woodwind and horn instrumentals in his scores that often feel a lot more dramatic and brooding than what's actually going on on screen and it reminded me almost in this movie almost of like those hammy like 90s movies a little bit and I suppose that's probably (laughs) a bit of a callback to like the 70s films but I feel like when you watch something like Apocalypse Now it's it's almost all like um not original score you know that was almost all like cultural touch points of the the music that you would have heard in the Vietnam War right it's like your Creedence Clearwater revival and shit shit, yeah. yeah but this was original music most of the time yeah and uh it did feel like quite. It made it feel With a quite. a shitload of Marvin Gaye in there as well. Yeah, right. It was basically jumping between those two things. It was yeah. either yeah, Terence Blanchard's score or Marvin Gaye. Or that one Marvin Gaye song. <laughs> yeah, or like an acapella of it. So uh, yeah, I think. Um, but I, I think it really did work, and it, it did kind of like manage to separate it out a little bit in tone from like just. I mean, like, it's already not just another people hacking their way through the Vietnam jungle film, but it managed to give it that sort of... I don't know. It feels like now I kind of associate that uh, score with um, Spike Lee as a director, and they've sort of become kind of inseparable for me. I'm not sure how many other films that they've worked on together, but I know those two, and those are the only two that I've seen. And um and it worked really well for me. I um I, I didn't really notice the score that much. I definitely noticed mm. a few scenes where there was music where the, where the score clashed with what was happening on screen. Mm. Like there would be quite an intense emotional beat that would you'd expect like an upwell of strings, and there would just be like one like oboe or some shit going like. Yeah, I think it. Uh, but I, or it I, might have been more of like a. It sounded like some sort of Vietnamese instrument. It sounded like some sort of like more Asian inspired music in sure, some parts of sure. it. Sure. Um. A lot of it I didn't really notice the score, though. I, I noticed a, a bunch of times where there was, like, a, maybe there was, like, a quiet conversation happening and the score was kind of almost the opposite of what you were just saying at point, <laughs> at, at, at certain points where, like, the score was kind of swelling beyond yeah. what I felt was happening on screen, which yeah. I think is an interesting, um, an interesting thing to try and do anyway. Sometimes it did make it feel a little bit like... I don't know, cheesy Hollywood. But I guess that's probably aping the original movies that it's based off too, which I'm yeah. a little less familiar with other than Apocalypse Now. Well, yeah, right. Uh, uh, I liked I liked a lot of the Marvin Gaye stuff and I'd never heard <laughs> I'd never heard the a cappella uh like voice isolated versions of those Marvin Gaye songs, mm. which was cool to hear and I think it's suited thematically and it's it suited the film and I liked it. It was great. Um 
I didn't really notice the score that much. I feel like all, all, the, the bits where I did notice the score were almost annoying sometimes. Yeah, right. <laughs> the bits were like, I like sometimes where it sort of clashes with what's happening on screen, but there were sometimes where I'm like, now what is the score doing here? Did you enjoy this movie? I liked it. Overall. I just feel like I just didn't like it nearly as much as Black Klansman. And there, there okay. was a lot of like, it would annoy me if I spoil, can we spoil this movie? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Uh, sure. Um, I didn't like that um, after Eddie dies randomly, it's supposed to be this big emotional moment. Um, and you're sort of like, well, who the fuck is Eddie? And then all the characters, and and then and then all of a sudden, there's this big bit at the end where all these characters start dying, and mm. it's almost doing this weird Tarantino-y thing where it's 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 getting yeah, a bit hammy. that's but an it, interesting. But it hasn't comparison. quite committed to that Tarantino-y hammy kind of like uh, excitement about violence kind of tone mm. for the rest of the movie. So then when the guy jumps on the grenade and he's just dead, you're just sort of like, uh. And you haven't really gotten to know this guy, so I didn't really feel the impact of that death. Um, I I just feel like all the big emotional deaths in the movie, um, and then the way it ramped up was a bit. It, it just felt like it felt like the first death didn't really mean much to me, and the more all the deaths started mounting up, they were he was just kind of tossing them away, like they didn't really mean very much. Also, the death Eddie's death at the at the hands of a, a landmine. Number one, I think that was quite an effect. So, I think the lead up to that death was a lot more effective than the actual death itself. It was very predictable as well. Well, the thing was, I don't think it was very predictable because you knew it was going to happen, but I didn't know when it was going to happen. Yeah. And, like, I guess, you know, yeah, that's probably... Uh, I, I mean, yeah, there's... It'd a be part a, of the Vietnam A compelling argument that for that to be made that, yeah, exactly, well, that's how it feels. Full and, of fucking landmines, Okay, yeah. sure. Um, but it did mean that for, like, 10, 20 minutes of the film, I was paying almost no attention to what happened on screen. I was just being ready for just a- any for one of the characters yeah. to be blown up. And there's, there's literally a bit where at the beginning of the movie when they're still hanging out in the city, um, they meet uh, a team of people who are like, oh, us, we defuse landmines. Yeah, after they've gone down the river a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And so like that, those characters come back, and yeah, yeah. exactly. That's one of, sort of one of the main love interests in the film. That felt a bit Hollywood to me uh, as well, where like I just didn't like... I liked a lot of the scenes in this movie, but I feel like the overall construction of the story left a lot to be desired for me. Like, I thought, like, it was, it felt like a very full kind of movie, and mm. then all of a sudden it was a very, like, very small-scale movie when all of a sudden they were in the middle of the jungle and the three French people they met at the bar that defuse landmines are there when the guy has stepped on a landmine. Like, I just thought it was all a bit too... Too lazily constructed, I thought. Yeah, like it was, it was, it was almost literally like we're going to give this French lady a remember these remember these weird French people because they get a pop in fifteen minutes, and the guy steps on the landmine, and then like a second later, those people are like, hey, here we are. Like I just, I just thought like, oh come on, man. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm critical because I like there were so many scenes I really liked. I thought that there were so many scenes that were really, really effective. And so then when the re- then when there was a lot of other scenes, I was like, well, what the fuck is this? It was just annoying. Right. I mean, yeah, I can't like speak to a lot more than I, I can't speak to why um, maybe a bit more than you did. I can't speak to why like the French or the group of um kind of landmine disarmers are there. So that's um well, that Hedy, was- Simon and Seppo played by uh Melanie Thierry and two guys who were actually in Black Klansman as well. I knew oh, I really? recognized them from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they were racist. They were like the white supremacists in Black Klansman. Yeah, right. In the in the world of the movie, the French lady, her she comes from a she's like a third generation 
comes from like a rich family who made their money colonizing f- Vietnam, yeah, and, like on rubber plantations and shit. And so yeah. she feels responsible for her wealth at the suffering of the Vietnamese people, and so is there to like pay it back. So there's, there's also Paul Walter Hauser and Jasper Pakenham. Paul Walter Hauser plays like an American, I think, companion to the French woman uh, Haiti. Yeah, and then Seppo is like this other, other I French think he's dude. meant to be French. Um, I thought his performance was like really shit. I think he did a really good job in Black Klansman, but I just didn't buy him at fucking he all in this movie. He had a couple this. of really dodgy, like, I don't know, his line readings were very like cartoonish for me. I just didn't really, his performance didn't come off. But Simon, the heavyset guy, I really, the American one, I really liked him. I think he was good, I think good, he yeah. was really good. And, and um, uh, Hetty as well, I thought she was really great. So sorry, what I was going to, I just wanted to say I like yeah, the performance. Yeah. But what I was going to say is I think part of the reason why, I can't speak to why they were like there, but um, I know that in uh, Apocalypse Now Redux, there's that uh, extended scene that takes place on the plantation where they meet the French families. There must be like a pretty strong element of that cultural significance of like French kind of invasion well, the, yeah, the French colonization. occupied Vietnam and they were in the Vietnam War as yeah, well. Yeah, so yeah. But it, uh, I'm guessing it's uh, sort of one of those things where, like, if you want to look at Vietnam War cinema and you want to try and emulate that style, like, it's sort of almost something that you have to include to some extent. Yes. Yeah, and I so. think it's interesting just talking about the scale of the film. I think it's interesting that you ever felt like it was going to be a large scale thing because at the end of the day, like it's really a very personal journey for these five yeah. people. And I think it's just setting up with this big melodramatic tone. Well, and I suppose maybe there's an argument to be made there that they set off and the tone of the film is this like grandiose adventure of them like reliving the glory days of the war. Yeah. And then the more realistic that it becomes, the more hard it becomes, the more that they realize and the more that they lose even people's lives. Um, the more like personal and realistic the tone of the film kind of grows. Yeah, and then when it gets very movie like, when there's a character from twenty minutes ago that pops back, and you're like, "Oh, what the fuck?" I thought this this was starting to feel very real and very, and you're starting to get a feel for the bond that the, the four guys have mm. or the five the five guys have. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought there are enough little turns in the story that felt a bit felt a bit lazy that they stood out. When they didn't, because I real some favorite scenes, because I've been bitching about this movie and actually I actually enjoyed it overall. Um, mm. Favorite scenes, I think my favorite scene in the whole movie was uh, when they find out that Martin Luther King's been killed. Okay, so that's a flashback. That's in, awesome. In that type of like retro style. Yeah, so that's that's a flashback when they um there was a it was apparently a a real thing that the the Vietnamese did. Um, they so would like try broad- propagandize against. Yeah, they would broadcast English language broadcasts targeted at American soldiers and so this was like a and Hanoi Hannah is this was this like Vietnamese DJ lady who would do these broadcasts and they mm-hmm. have someone playing her in the film sending out the the news that Martin Luther King's been assassinated and it comes with this commentary about like why are you even here um, to all the black American soldiers out there? This isn't your fight. It's basically fight. saying only true shit. <laughs> yeah, and that was awesome. Your that, country that was... is taking advantage of you. You're not respected there. You're fighting for rights. You're fighting for rights that you don't even have there. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was th- that, that's where that statistic comes from, where that DJ says, like, oh, if you're 30%. 30% of Americans in Vietnam are black, but only 10% yeah. of Americans back home are black. A fucking wild strategy. Yeah. I feel like if anyone ever invaded, like, US soil, they would never be that fucking clever. Yeah. And I, I feel like so much of the d- depicting them 
back uh, depicting the flat the flashback so many of the flashback scenes until that point had been like almost victorious glorification of their their glory days back in the war and it had been like America fuck yeah type footage where they were mm. like these like badass GIs it was like Vietnamese. black America fuck yeah right yeah, yeah. Vietnamese ju- in the Vietnamese jungle and so then to have this like deep heavy sense of hopelessness and like feeling like maybe they're on the wrong side and like maybe no one cares about them at all right in that very moment where like one of the most important figures in black black American history has been shot down mm. by other the Americans. CIA. <laughs> um, it's just so wild. And that, that was a yeah. really emotional moment. I thought that was really effective. Um, just, just you could really feel like unspoken and like wordlessly in the film, you could really feel the hopelessness and like how all the characters in that moment had just like almost completely given up all hope. Yeah. And everyone's performance in that scene is really it's good. Awesome. Um, my, I think favorite bits are, I'll, I've got two that I particularly liked that come to mind straight away, although I liked, like, a bunch. Um, uh, Delroy Lindo Paul's character sort of ends up going on this, like, almost, like, uh, Colonel Kurtzian, um descent into the... So he splits off with the rest of the group, and he ends up going on this big descent into the rest of the jungle where he gets, like, fucking bitten by a snake and, like, caught in a trap and all this other stuff that seems like it must have been taking off certain other things. That's I don't know. where... Just so, yeah. but also like, yeah, it's it. That's even. I mean, really, when you look at it, like, if that's if that's kind of like taking off the apocalypse now, descent into madness thing, that is based on like a 17th century book. So it's like this stuff is just so, um, uh, so metatextual by this point that it almost feels like you kind of got to ignore that it feels a little bit cliched because like, well, they are cliches. They're using the cliches, right? Yeah. Um. I, but regardless of the like the context of it happening, I thought his performance in those moments, he does this extended piece of just talking to camera, sort of explaining his mental perspective. It's almost like direct exposition. One of the things I like least about this movie was <laughs> how much direct exposition I think there was. There was fucking lots. I think the, the um, way they wrote the story overall, I think, the, yeah, the way they wrote the story was my least favorite bit of it. Yeah. Um, the... Uh, he so he he has his like yeah lengthy descent, um, and then eventually like I guess it's it's not just a, a descent into madness. It's like this like um, ascent into a uh, an, an enlightened realization when he finally comes face to face with Storm and Norman. And it's really cool because the whole film's been set up in these like um, vastly different aspect ratios and uh, qualities of film because one a lot of it's filmed on that filmic medium with lots of like film grain it's really like lo-fi and and gritty and then the rest of it is filmed on these like crisp modern digital uh, I think maybe even anamorphics like very good looking lenses and then you see Storm and Norman and because it's this realization that Paul is having he's just right there like backlit like Christ in yeah, it's a lot of like full HD, and it's and it looks was well, actually 4K on my TV, but it <laughs> looks he looks fucking great, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know, it just really hits you that how like you know you can see the pores in his skin, and he all of a sudden is this very real person to yeah. Paul, and I really like that's that an moment. interesting way of like taking like a very specific technical cinematic thing, yeah, yeah, and using it as a like almost a character development, yeah. Um, and then there's that scene where they have this back and forth where basically it's like, it's it's almost a scene from like Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams is just hugging him and saying, it's not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of like, 
um, you know, Storm and Norman like even cracks a joke and Paul's just like losing it. That's the bit where he hits the camera, by the way. <laughs> Paul hits, he bumps the lens. It's yeah, right. really wild. But they're also like, they're getting so close up in there that you get to share this like real personal moment. Um, and so I liked those. I, I think I liked those two bits the most. Um, I, I quite liked uh, David, his Paul's son's, uh, character and acting throughout, played by uh, Jonathan Majors. I was convinced I'd seen him in something else, and then I just couldn't find anything that he was in yeah, that I would I ever know. watch. I didn't, I didn't recognize. He feels like a screen natural. I really yeah, like he was his good. performance. I didn't recognize any of these actors. No, neither yeah. neither did I really, except fucking Gene Reno playing the main antagonist slash. Uh, yeah, that, gold exporter. that French dude. <laughs> that that French guy that dressed exactly like Donald Trump for the whole <laughs> movie, and then ends up wearing a Make America Great. Cap. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, that's um, good. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that the stuff with the the Trump cap maybe was like, and look, you know me, like, you know my political views, but um, the uh, fucking Marxist, but the uh, <laughs> the Trump cap being like passed to the bad guys as they became the bad guys, I think that was the most on the nose thing. Like, yeah, but it's also done in such a like hammy way that I was well, it almost brought me on board with there's it there's the bit where he, uh, Otis is like almost bleeding out on the floor and he throws the trump cap on top of his like lifeless body yeah and says like crazy or whatever or like laughing and shit yeah um the bit where I thought the bit where um so there's uh, I think it's Melvin the medic that jumps on the grenade um you said that that wasn't a particularly like impactful moment, and I agree because it goes by very quickly and it's very sudden and abrupt. And, and there it's isn't also one of the characters you've gotten to know the least, like right. And there yeah. isn't much like it's not like a particularly. It sounds funny to say, but it's not a particularly violent death. He just jumps on a grenade, and then there's this like, and yeah. he's just dead. Yeah. But I think if that's like fuck, if you talk to people and that's what it actually is like when a human jumps on a grenade, that's almost way worse. Like. The landmine death, I think, was actually maybe my least favorite part of it because it, was it very felt like comical and cartoony. fucking Tropic Thunder, man. You know when Ben yeah. Stiller gets his hands blown off and it's mm. all, all like you're seeing the I behind just, the scenes footage and he's like trying to cry and stuff. It felt almost like that, like cartoonishly violent. That's what I mean, and and that all goes. I just think the tone. I liked a lot of this movie, but yeah. and, and, and the stuff I didn't like annoyed me a lot. Like I just thought the tone of this movie was really inconsistent. Like exactly, there's that moment. I'll give you that. I think it was. I think it did veer wildly. Yeah, there's that moment where he almost feels like he's trying to go for some sort of Tarantino we kind of thing mm. and doesn't really commit. And then he's trying to go for that like uh, the big short kind of thing. And it's not really quite that either. But then it's not really quite. It's not really quite serious. But sometimes it is very serious. Mm. And I, I, I don't know. I thought, I thought, it, I thought it was good, but there was enough stuff that kind of broke me out of it that I would have enjoyed it a lot more if it had been a bit more cohesive. Yeah. And I actually watched an, a really negative review on YouTube that was two dudes being like, "Oh, just, oh, just didn't get it. Why couldn't they cast young dudes in the seventies?" And it really annoyed me watching these dudes be like, "What is this movie?" And I'm now right. I'm now hearing myself being like, "What is this movie?" And I, I I got it. I just didn't. There was enough stuff that broke me out of it. And I got there was some stuff that I did get and I did like, like them having them as old people back in the '70s. I thought was great, and I liked all the different changes and shots because I think sometimes it gives you an idea of whose perspective you're looking at it through, and it gives you a tonal 
appreciation for the period of time they're depicting. And I stuff think like the that. cinematography in this film was consistently fucking amazing. It was great. The I think the way was really the cinematographer good. is almost the most commendable person <laughs> in this yeah. whole like cast and crew. And I thought I, that they they did such a wonderful job. It looks good no matter what medium it's being used on. Yeah. The way that he uses those different aspects are, are fantastic, and even the transitions between them. Like he does a a wipe fade at one point where someone cuts the frame and walks in front of the <laughs> yeah. camera, and that's when he changes it's aspect ratio. It's really cool. It's like the most impressionistic editing I've ever seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the editing, the color grading, the cinematography are all really great. I think all of that's movie. great. I think a lot of the it's uh, so well put together. The characterization. Yeah. I said before there are uh, some of them were a little bit flat. I just meant the secondary characters are a little bit flat. Mm. That I, I kind of felt like uh, we need five, so we got three main ones, and then. Those dudes. But like all in all, I feel like the characters were very good and all the performances were very good. Yeah, Spike Lee talked a little bit uh, as well about like trying to humanize the Vietnamese characters in the story a lot more than a lot of like normal, because of course a lot of like normal Vietnamese films don't fucking, they're just this like faceless other evil. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't do that. I think it spends a fair bit of time um, with like these sympathetic characters that are also Vietnamese, which is really nice to see as like a change. Yeah. Um. Yeah, they're still sort of. I mean, like the white dude is the worst dude, I guess, which is like true to life. But um, <laughs> it's interesting to get yeah. a lot of the. You get a lot of like American guilt of these soldiers going into these places and coming across all these Vietnamese people who are like, um, "You killed my family." You killed my family, and they're like, "Well, I didn't." And it's it's like the opposite of a lot of what you normally get. And mm. I, 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 I don't know. I, I suppose I hadn't, I hadn't seen that depicted like so bluntly in film before where like they'll be like, you need to buy this off me because you're the reason I don't have a mum and dad. Yeah, and there are some vets that are like, some Vietnamese veterans that are like, um, no, nah, it's cool, man. It wasn't, wasn't really our war. Like, you, you know, like we were, we were all fighting it for bad reasons or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was an interesting like just perspective to include. It doesn't really go yeah. very deep into it, but um, and there's still like this distrust between the main group of people and the, those veterans that they meet, mm. but it's like right at the start. Some, um, of those, some of those excellent acting I saw was in when they're on the boat through the, the floating market and the dude's trying to get him to buy this chicken. And yeah, Paul that whole scene was really good. And yeah. back off. Yeah. And it turns this scene that feels like a very lighthearted market scene that opens with like Otis like joking around. Like they're like buying the beers from people on the canoes beers. around them and stuff, yeah. And it just gets more and more tense and more and more tense as you realise like Paul's not alright. He's tried to like very coolly say, nah man, I'm fine. Like mm. it feels like 15 times. Yeah. It when you're someone that really, won't help really, himself really, either, really tense. Yeah. Which I think is really frustrating. Like obviously the system has completely failed him and the rest of these people but um, he, I think that's what's so frustrating about him and like what is initially very frustrating about him wearing the Trump cap and being a Trump voter is like um, you you are putting up barriers to your own uh, well-being yeah. and success and I increasing your own oppression as well as the systemic oppression on top of things because you've just been sold up the river by so many different fucking things and you've been taught never rely on anyone, nothing will ever help you, you have to get by yeah. only with yourself. And um, yeah, and that's really upsetting to see manifest as a character flaw for the rest of the film, basically. And he's clearly very... Has a, has a, it clearly has issues like expressing his own emotions because yeah. he gives this letter that's like a very self-aware analysis of why every way that he expresses himself emotionally to his son is like is inappropriate stilted and yeah and shit. And he gives that letter to his mate at the very beginning of the movie and he's like, "I'm not going to tell you what's in this letter, but give it to my son if I die." 
Mm. Um, we don't see it until the end of the movie, but it was at the beginning of that journey. Yeah. Yeah, and at the end of the movie, just uh, Otis is like, "Oh, hey, your dad gave me this letter, and this letter, it's like, hey, here's why I'm a crap. Here's why I'm a piece of shit. Sorry like, for being well, a crap father. Yeah. Isn't it frustrating that he had that much self awareness to be able to so clearly articulate that, but then <laughs> not like. But I think it is frustrating, right? But it's, it's also very just a, uh, yeah, that's sometimes the way that some people are. I didn't yeah. find that to be like unbelievably frustrating, if you know what I mean, or unbelievable and frustrating. I felt it to just be like sad that his character. It's a shame that he could never come to express articulate that, that to his son, you know, face to face and see the reaction of it. Yeah, but he, yeah. I, I mean, he always felt like for me, it felt mu- much more like um, he felt like Storm and Norman was his son in a way, like even though there's almost like that inverse father relationship between them where he's the mentor. Um, I feel like him being a younger actor, um, the way that he treats the respect that he has for that character and the way that he looks up to him um, and is like, so I think proud of who that person is feels more like, you know, that's the son that he really has. He could never come to love this other person because he had, he had that, he'd had this loss that he just couldn't move past that was occupying the same space for him as his son might, you know? Yeah. Um, I suppose that's probably true. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're right. I think that there are some wild inconsistencies in the script and the tone of this film that probably don't serve it positively. There are some inconsistent moments that I think do serve it positively, but I think it doesn't always get it right. And I just feel like it means you're never quite sure how you're supposed to be reacting to each scene. Like, sometimes there's this horror that he might be wanting to instill, and then sometimes it's a bit comic, and then sometimes it's like, oh, he's dead, and that's war, man, and you never... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I think it was sometimes a little bit difficult to pick apart the the intent behind the scenes, and yeah, you're right, that... That's not always the best feeling when you're watching a film. So I didn't feel like it was perfect by any means. Um, but I thought it was like a very fresh take on this type of film. Um, it's w- as, w- as we said, it's really well put together. The performances, especially of the uh, A-level cast, are uh, really incredible. Awesome, yeah. Especially a shout-out to yeah, Delroy Lindo, who plays Paul. And I think his son does a really great job as well. Uh, Jonathan, I can never fucking remember his last name. Majors, Jonathan Majors, um, does an excellent job. Uh, the soundtrack's really good, uh, if not a bit discordant at times. Yeah. I think this is worth your while, especially if you're interested in just getting a generally different perspective on that Vietnam War era stuff, because it it does a lot of what those old war movies do just as well. Yeah. Like you know, there's a uh, helicopter like flight of the Valkyrie scene there's the going up the river on the boat scene there's lots of those same types of scenes and it's a great adventure movie and it's a great it quest is. movie as well I so we described as a heist movie at nah, some point it's not points. a heist movie you know. it's not really <laughs> I mean like they have that initial meeting with um, the French guy that does seem a little bit like maybe it's planning but I don't really think yeah. that's accurate if you, if you're this I think it's far, more of an adventure film if you're yeah. this far and you've heard this well as we haven't seen it one thing we didn't explain was the whole conceit of the treasure hunt the gold the movie and shit, yeah. is they were given a mission back and back when they were in Vietnam originally to go and recover this big chest of gold. And when they finally recover it, they were like, fuck this, let's just bury it and we'll come back later and get the gold and keep it for ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so that's half the point of them going to Vietnam is to dig up um, bring back their this buddy's gold. bones, but then also to bring back this gold. And they can't get it across the border, so they need like basically a fence or an importer. They have to hire some crew to sell it, yeah. The French, and that's the French where this, is. it's like all these 
cr- criminals and dudes start chasing after him trying and to get like, stolen And he's like, oh, let 20%. <laughs> 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 yeah. I, well, something I really liked was the way it emotionally connects a lot of historical stuff that had never really been very relevant to me to the characters in the movie. Like, I, I really liked the way that it put some, some very personal emotional weight behind the death of Martin Luther King. Um, mm. I thought that I had never really considered uh, how it was like a racial issue about which soldiers were sent into the Vietnam War and that sort of thing. Yeah. I'd never really considered well, that. Well, it's funny because really it good. was such a major issue, but it's so little explored in the cinema. Yeah. Which I suppose makes sense, but... And, yeah. I, and I liked a lot of the the cultural stuff that they analysed about like the long-term effects of the Vietnam War on the Vietnamese culture. Mm. But I, I feel like that ha- that's that's in a lot of... That's in like every Vietnamese... Every Vietnam War movie. Well, and also there's something that... Yes, I agree. I like that too. I feel like there is something that you miss out on when you watch a Spike Lee movie as a white dude and it's the same as watching like a Boots Riley film or just any um, any auteur that has such a strong... Uh, focus on black culture in their films, which is similar to when you watch a, a European film or whatever, is that you can you can get the, the, the textual tone that the author is conveying to you, but there will always be some, these subtextual moments that, or like allusions or implications that don't come across to you if you didn't grow up in that culture. Yeah. And there's such a strong way that this group relates to each other that I felt Almost like at points, there's probably stuff I'm missing that's meaningful to these people in the way that they are acting, the way that they're performing, the way that they're showing respect to each other that I'm just not really picking up on. It's so also was cool to have I these stories. Glad, yeah, glad to have on screen, but also felt like it was a little bit... Um, it just feels like you're missing out on something when you watch it. It's not something that I have a problem with missing out on. It's just something that I find interesting. Yeah, I, I get that there's an emotional weight to it, but I don't... I, f- I feel confident enough in my assessment of the movie that if someone was like, oh, actually, you're missing out on this, is this why it's a five-star movie? I'd still be like, ah, maybe for you, but I feel confident enough that for me it's still... Yeah. I'm, I'm confident enough in my assessment of the movie to be to be like, no, nah, I, I, I still feel that the writing I didn't like here and that thing. Yeah, but I mean, like, I don't think, personally for me, I don't think the script was bad enough to say stay away from this. I think it was... I think it's, I think it's fun. I think it was a good script. I think it's so well put together. I think it's worth your time. It's yeah. worth going in on. It's I, fun. I suppose I like Black Klansman enough and Black Klansman was impressionistic and sort of uh, interesting and different enough in a way that I was... Mm. I'd hype myself up a bit. I will say, uh, Spike, stop fucking focusing on um, the problematic industrial complexes in society and like finding the good guys in those like he, f- <laughs> he found like good cops and good soldiers it's like bro come on let's just <laughs> just stop making fucking movies about <laughs> cops and soldiers do something else <laughs> you know what i mean like it's yeah it is something that, that well, to I'm, be fair the vietnam war was a was was a conscripted army so no i, I know I, I know the whole thing sucks but um you know yeah yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I enjoy watching the movie. And I'm it's glad just an, I'm an glad. interesting thing that yeah. someone who's I would assume is like trying to be a progressive is also kind of focused yeah. on. Um, and I, I know he like Boots Riley gave him shit for that when um, uh, Black Klansman came out. He was like, "It sucks that you had a cop save the day, man. It sucks <laughs> that you had a cop save the day." Yeah, fuck. Um, yeah. Oh, so well. I, I enjoyed the movie and I like Spike Lee. Um, yeah. I think this was a really good movie. Like, I think it was. I think it was good. Yeah. I feel like I was overly critical because there was enough big things that I'd noticed that was critic. I'd noticed that bugged me. And I thought, oh, I can talk about that. Mm. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. That's all I got. I still think that this was, wasn't as good as Black Klansman. I liked Black Klansman more. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But this was going way more like stylistic. So I think it's more like um, Black Klansman probably had more, much more broad appeal. But it, maybe if you were like a real uh, Vietnam Vietnam War movie era head, this would be like fucking sick. You know? It feels like a movie really made for people, especially the script, really made for people who are really big on that type of stuff well we've done three yeah i, I suppose we, we, we've done we've done three vietnam war movies and i, I think that they've all been I don't, completely good morning different. vietnam i don't reckon counts that, is, like that a is a vietnam war movie i know but i don't know it is and they're all different that's I not think like that doesn't feel like um platoon or apocalypse now or any of those like no you're wrong it's a vietnam war movie <laughs> and I, th- I think it's interesting that they're all different like like uh, well, apocalypse that's now that's a very is quick like dismissal of a, <laughs> a very deep point but yeah okay. well no i just mean all i meant was like it's it's apocalypse now is very deep a very intensely serious film it takes itself very seriously good morning vietnam is like a more very more personal like i'm a, a and it's got a very light-hearted kind of take on it. That's a, very, a bit more Hollywoody. I think a lot of and films I think that this focus is an interesting on thing down the middle. The conflict, whereas yeah, uh, and like most, I would think Vietnam cinema focuses on the conflict. I think Good Morning Vietnam doesn't focus on the conflict, and I think this movie does focus on the conflict. It's just also taking place in the modern day. I think that uh, yeah, I think that from an engagement point of view, it, you could say that thi- uh, this movie and Good Morning Vietnam are both. I feel like a lot more of like a human kind of film. It almost feels a bit alienating watching uh, Apocalypse Now because you're like these two are like so far off the rails and so so far in the middle of this experience that like no one that I haven't had. Well, you go hard. with them on this journey. Yeah, it's hard to relate to them. It's, Crazy, it's like yeah. it feels like a very like in, a, a very a very intense experience. Mm. Whereas there's a lot more humanness to this film with the camaraderie you see between all the guys, and there's a lot more humanness in like I feel like a lot of the story of uh, Good Morning Vietnam is more about the human impact of the war on these different people. In a way that I think is, it's an interesting perspective on the war. It's all about like the f- the friendships he thinks he's making with different people in the country, and about the 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 bond between the soldiers, and about the. But it's so focused on Robin Williams' individual journey that I yeah. don't think you actually do end up with that sense of camaraderie because I don't think you have the. I think you're watching one person form bonds with a lot of different people. Oh yeah. Whereas yeah. this is like a group of people shared trauma and experience, you know? Yeah. Um, I think this is much more reminiscent of those old conflict-style films Yeah. than it is reminiscent of a movie that takes place in the Vietnam War but is not about soldiers, basically. I suppose so. Um, just if you're looking for, like, relevant touch points in, yeah. in the cinematic uh, canon around this type of shit. Yeah, I just think I think I think it's interesting that you can have one event that spurns like spurns like so many different styles, so many perspectives, of film. Yeah. yeah, so many different perspectives. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm really glad that this got made. And, yeah, uh, I think what I think also just like one one last like summing up thought. I think it's really cool that Spike Lee managed to take a script that by the sounds of it was made by people who had done this type of shit before. And like they're the the two guys that were talking about the scripts that I read from in the Atlantic article, their script writing teacher was the guy who wrote the script for Apocalypse Now. Like they oh. are people who have just been in that shit the whole <laughs> the time. The script really phoned it in there. Like we're gonna find an old soldier who's still alive in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah, it was like the script writing teacher's lesson is like. <laughs> how to write the exact script I did. Yeah. And I think... Um, <laughs> you need a boat, a river, a fat dude is still alive. Yeah. 
So I think the fact that Spike Lee managed to take it and uh, give it so much of like what you know Spike Lee is famous for uh, is really impressive. I admire, I respect him a lot for that. Yeah. Oh well, I think that's about all we got then. Yeah. Cool. Thank you for joining us for another week. You can email us beefsessionpod at gmail dot com if you've got any suggestions of what we want us to cover. We're still running. We're still in the middle of a, a movies not being shown in the cinemas and shit. So we've still got. Yeah, and we've just had a couple of new cases crop up in Canberra of coronavirus. <laughs> so it sounds like going and seeing Tenant might be another two weeks delay. Uh, a few, <laughs> a few weeks off, I'd say. And uh, yeah, you may not catch me in a cinema anytime soon. Yeah, so God, we'll you, see about that. You can, you can email us with suggestions. You can join our Facebook page and join in on the discussion. Tell us what the horniest movie is that you've seen. Oh fuck yeah! That's the current little discussion we got going. Just, I think our last ep on The Handmaiden was very fucking funny. If you haven't listened to that one. I don't think you need to see The Handmaiden, <laughs> but go back and listen to that app. I think that was a really good So we app. figured we'd bring you some stoic discussion of Vietnam oh, War yes. and race relations just yeah, to yeah. really like yeah, rip definitely. that band-aid off. Yeah, we do one funny episode and then one historic episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. See you later. Mother, mother, there's too many of you cry. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some loving here today. Father, father, we don't need to escalate. You see, war is not the end. For only love can comprehend You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and get here today Picket lines and picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me so you can see